0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Catalyst. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome everybody. Uh, especially if you're visiting for the first time in person, if you're joining us online, I want to welcome all of you all um, for for uh, joining us this morning. If you are online, please uh, let us know that you're there. Send us a message or text in the chat, chat uh, text in the chat box. Just check in. Let us know you're there so we can be praying for you. Know, know who's here and everything like that. Um, we are, we are uh, we're finishing up our marriage series that f- from, from the last month. We're starting a brand new one next week called, uh, uh, called Growing in Christ. It's, the, it's four-chair discipleship. We're going to be going through that next week. I'm real excited about that. But today, we're doing a standalone message. I felt uh, as I was preparing for the, the, the sermon on Monday that this is the direction that the Lord wanted me to go. And so this doesn't happen very often, most of the time we preach in series, but this is kind of a standalone thing, wanting to address a major issue that's going on right now, and it's simply called The Case for Courage. Now, this entire year, the theme is maturity. We want, uh, we want to, to, to go deeper as a church, as people. This entire year is going to be about us maturing as people, maturing as a church, maturing as followers of Jesus Christ. And so that is what we're talking about today. We cannot mature without courage. So the main thing today is this. It's not enough to respect courage. We must live with courage, okay, Now, I think the best movie ever made is Hacksaw Ridge. My favorite movie of all time and replaced my my favorite movie before that was Braveheart. Hacksaw Ridge. It's the story of Desmond Doss, a devout Christian Medal of Honor winner who, without ever carrying a weapon, saved the lives of more than 75 American troops during the Battle of Okinawa in World War II. Um, The the American troops have been pushed off the high ground, uh, a, a crushing defeat, and many wounded have been left up there on top. Well, Doss stayed behind, and, uh, stayed behind and, and lowered more than 75 wounded troops to the ground, dodging enemy bullets the whole time, never carrying a weapon. It's an amazing story, amazing movie. Don't watch it with your kids. It's very, gorgeous, very gory. All right? But he was up there all night working to save the wounded. American troops were at the bottom of the ridge receiving the wounded as he, he lowered them down one at a time. 75, he worked all night amazing story, one that continues to inspire me to no end, but there's one thing that bothered me. Guys, I watched the movie, I read the book. I thought about the troops at the bottom of the ridge. Now, they could hear the gunfire up there as the Japanese soldiers were shooting at Desmond Doss. They could see the people being lowered down, their their friends, their fellow troops being lowered down. And and they knew that someone was up there rescuing them, but they stood there, not one person, not one person that entire night went up to help. That strike you as odd. Now, I, I'm not judging. They had just been in battle. They were probably exhausted. Maybe they were scared. They, were, they, they just had a crushing defeat that day. I, I, I get that. I, 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 don't, I don't do any disrespect there. But this is, just, this is a major disconnect in us, you guys. We love stories of courage. We love watching people do courageous things. So that, that, that we watch movies, we, we, we go to see movies, we, we read stories in the Bible of great courageous people, read them to our kids, we celebrate them. But a lot of times we don't participate in those stories. We rarely create courageous stories of our own. Does anyone ever wonder why we respect and love stories of courage so much and, like I said, teach them to our kids, make movies out of them, but we don't act with it? Uh, for for every Desmond Doss, it's up there 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 were a thousand American troops sitting at the bottom watching him do it. Um, supporting it, encouraging, cheering him on, but not engaging. Ever wonder why that is? I do. Well, my senior year in college, I was sitting in a history class on the Holocaust. And I, I, I've forgotten 99% of what my professors have ever lectured, but I, I, I will never forget one line this particular professor said. It was kind of like a, 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 for, like a space shuttle Challenger moment for me. I remember where I was. Uh, for my generation, it was space shuttle Challenger. Uh, for my parents' generation, it was JFK assassination. For millennials, it was 9-11. You know, for Gen was when they found out that avocado toast was first off, first off at, at Starbucks. You know, you get the idea. You remember where you were, okay? Well, my classmate asked, Ask this, why in the world could, how how could the German people allow this to happen? How could they let their neighbors, their friends be rounded up by the Gestapo, carted off to camps? How could they not hide people like Anne Frank? There were stories there, but they weren't very common. How could that happen? And my professor paused and said this, and I quote, I remember him saying this. He said, because the average person just isn't very courageous. I'll never forget him saying that. He was say, saying, the rest of it was a, was a paraphrase because I don't remember the exact words, but he said there's a major disconnect between what we celebrate and what we actually do. He said, people love stories of courageous people. We love stories of people who hid the Jews during the Holocaust. We love stories of Medal of Honor winners who ran into gunfire to save wounded friends. We love when we celebrate those, but when it comes to actually doing it, he goes, we don't. He said the Holocaust really shows us that when pressed people will always choose safety and security over courage um, and that 's how these things happen. He said the German people weren 't evil they were not evil they weren't just very they just weren 't very courageous and just like most of us he said this if we had lived during that time. We would have done the exact same thing they did. We would have watched our neighbors carted off to the camps. We would have watched the Gestapo kick indoors. And we would have kept our heads down and gone along to get along. Man, those words hit me like a like like a fist. Because in my 21-year-old mindset, I said, No way would we have done that. Professor said. Don't judge them too harshly, because we're the same way. I'll never forget him saying that, maybe because, like I said, it bothered me so much. But see, guys, the Bible tells us something radically different than what Dr. McCullough observed. In stark contrast, it says in Joshua 1.9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Be, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Twelve times in the Bible we're told to be strong and courageous. That is the challenge for the Christian. Now, before we continue, we have to make a distinction between two things. We have to distinguish between what is reckless and what is courageous. Because a lot of times they look the same. A lot of times there's not a a lot of difference between them, but there's a huge difference. And this is what it is. I want you guys to write this down. I want you to remember this. Recklessness is based on what it stands against. But courage is based on what it stands for. In order to have courage, you have to know what you stand for, you have to know what is worth living for, and what is dying for, and deciding to do it. That is what courage is is. Desmond Doss didn't do what he did because he was simply against the Japanese. Now he knew what he stood for, that these men needed him, that, that, that life was precious and that their lives were worth saving and that's why he did what, what he did, was courageous. The people in World War II that hid Anne Frank and helped the Jews weren't just against the Nazis. They, were, they decided that the people needed them. They believed that their, that their lives were worth saving and they were willing to live and die for it. That was what that's courageous. It's not courageous you guys to break a law because you oppose it. It's not courageous to break the speed limit because you don't want to be told what to do. That's reckless. Okay? That's not courageous. That's reckless. And it would not be courageous of us to be open right now if we all we wanted to do was stick it to the man. Stick it to Governor Bashir. That's not that's reckless. We aren't open because of that. We are open because we believe that church is essential. That's why we believe that Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 tells us not to forsake meeting together. We are open because we believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, the only living God, the living incarnate and salvation is found only in him. We are open because we believe that humans need Christian community. We are open because we believe marriages need to be healed, that children's ministry is essential, that ministry to our youth is essential. We are open because we believe that this community needs a beacon of light in it. This community needs hope. Needs encouragement, and yes, we believe that is worth living and dying for. That's why we're open. Twelve times in the Bible, we're told to be strong and courageous. So I want to ask, is that you this morning? Are you strong and courageous? Your friends, neighbors, family say that you're strong and courageous. You truly believe the Lord your God will be with you wherever you may go. That's the challenge today. There are four reasons why we're not courageous. There are four fears that we need need to tackle. The first one is just the fear of failure. Many of us don't step out in courage even though we believe something because we're afraid of failing and failing massively. That is probably the the, the number one thing that stops us from doing what God wants us to do to stepping out in courage, fear of failure. What if I do this and it doesn't succeed? Well, that's a good question. You never know until you find out. The second thing is fear of ridicule. And boy, that's a big one. Taking a stand may make you unpopular. Incredibly powerful in a society today. Social media has made it possible for people to ridicule you from across the nation for anything that you say. It's an incredibly powerful reason we don't stand for things. Look what happens to you socially when you do. That's one of the reasons we don't. Number three, though. Number three and four are the big ones. Number three is simply fear of loss. Fear of loss. See, this is why we don't act with courage. We're just afraid of losing what we have. Um, in the Scrooge tape letters, uh, C.S. Luce wrote, wrote, wrote this, and I want you guys to think about it. He says, "This prosperity knits a man to the world. He finds he is finding he th- feels he's finding his place in it, while when re- when really it is finding its place in him." Wow, do you ever wonder why teenagers and twenty somethings exhibit a lot more risk taking behaviors than older folks? Ever wonder? Why? I, and I get that that the prefrontal cortex is, is not developed. You know, you know that kind of thing. But that's not what I'm talking about. All right. Screwtape says this in in the Screwtape letters. He's he's the devil, basically. He says this. He's surprised that younger people, surprised with younger people, with so much of their lives to live would be risk-takers, while older people with most of their life older don't. He says, this is strange to me. And he says this. He says that younger people, his analysis, and I think it's spot on, is that younger people simply have not accumulated the money and the possessions and the prestige that older people have. And therefore, they have nothing to lose, okay? Older people have those things, and they have more to lose. That's why he says prosperity and it's a man to the world. He feels he's finding his place in it, when in reality, the world is finding its place in us. All right, and I agree with this assessment. I took my son a couple days ago by the duplex that Rachel and I used to live in when we first got married. Two kids out of college with nothing, Okay, nothing. I, 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 he looked, my son looked at it, he goes, that's where you all lived? And I said, yeah, it, well, it, that's exactly where we lived. You know, the roof was sagging a lot more than I remember. But uh, man, we had nothing. We were early 20s, no money, no kids, no retirement, no savings. I was in seminary, I didn't even have a church to pastor. You know, I, hot dogs and mac and cheese was fine dining, y'all. It's good stuff. Back then, we could have lost everything. We'd been out about 10 bucks. Now things are different, y'all. Now I have a church that I love. I pastor. I have children. I have savings. I have a house. I have things to lose now. Fear of losing those things stop me from doing things that I know God wants me to do. I know exactly what C.S. Lewis is saying in this quote. Every Sunday, what if I preach on this subject? What if, what if some people that I dearly love uh, get upset and they leave and I lose their fellowship and I lose their friendship? It happens. It happens a lot, honestly. Um, what if we do this and we upset people so we can't keep the church open and I, and I back down because I fear loss? Sometimes I wonder, if the world has found its place within me If the prosperity comparable to 25 years ago has knitted me so close to this world that I more fear losing what I have here than I fear God. James 4.4 4 talks about this. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, this doesn't mean hating people or hating the world that God created. That's not what he's talking about here. It, doesn't, it, means, it means loving the things that this world can give you more than the rewards of God. That's it. When we begin to desire the rewards of this world and what this world can give us, and that's we allow fear to dictate our actions. And I found this out as a coach, a soccer coach. One of the most interesting episodes, I had a kid that didn't want to play. I don't know why he came out. Maybe his parents made him come out, something and didn't want to play. And when we were doing conditioning, conditioning, preseason conditionings in February, wind was whipping around, and it was cold and brutal, and I was, I was in my heavy coat. It was awesome. You know Hat, gloves. It was great. The kids were out there freezing. And I was just blowing my whistle, and they'd they'd run. It was like a big power trip. It was great. No, I'm kidding. This one kid sat down and refused to run. And I said, man, get on the line and run. He goes, no. And I said, if you don't do this, then you'll have to sit out of practice. And he goes, who cares? And I said, you know what happens if you sit out of practice? That means you miss a game. He goes, who cares? And I realized that I better stop because when this kid didn't want to play, therefore he wanted nothing I could give him, nothing. See, those other kids, those other 20 kids were running and freezing their rear ends off and everything because they wanted playing time. That's what I could give them. So they did everything I told them to do because they wanted what I could give them. And when this kid decided he didn't want anything I could give him, I ceased having any control, any power, and guys, that is a real thing for the Christian when we can look at this world and the things it offers and says, who cares? Then all of a sudden, we don't fear losing anymore. You guys... Matthew 10, 16, 26 says this. Jesus said this, asks us this question. He goes, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their very soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? That's a good question. See, the only way we'll ever live with courage, you all, is if we value what God rewards us with more than what this world rewards us with. See, Jesus could have gained the entire world. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was arrested, Peter, his disciple, took his sword and, 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 and attacked the people arresting him. And Jesus said, Put your sword away. He goes, Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels to fight for me? Let me tell you, one angel would have been enough. Okay? But he had 12 legions. He said, I could win this whole world. He goes, But that's not what my goal is. I don't value winning this world. I value saving you from hell. And therefore, he, he, he said, I don't care. He said, Who cares to the world? And he went to the cross. The reason we have eternal hope, eternal life, is because Jesus did not value what this world could give him, only what God told him to do, right? You guys, it's time to stop and think about what you value. Jesus didn't have any fear of loss, and that's why he's our Savior. That's why we have the hope of eternal life. It's, It's time to stop and think about what you value. Whatever you fear losing, whatever you fear losing, is what is keeping you from acting with courage. We fear ridicule, failure, loss, and we also have a fear of death. Number four is fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, a very obscure thing says this. Check this out, this is awesome. Since the children, meaning us, have flesh and blood because we're human, he too, meaning Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Wow. What was Jesus here to do? To free us from slavery of fear of death. Wow. My very first trip to India in 2012, my host, Robbie, sent me on the back of a motorcycle and we rode out to very remote parts of India, okay? And uh, where all the pastors were working, working among the Hindu people, winning converts for Christ. I walked into this hut. This hut was probably about this, well, maybe about this big. It wasn't very big. You probably see about 15 people in it. All right? And the pastor was sitting there on the ground. We, we sat there, and there was this big, huge column in the middle that was holding everything a big old wood column. And we were talking and everything. And, and, and the pastor told me what had happened about a month ago. He said, A guy came in with an axe. And he said, He swung at me, and, he, and I ducked, and he hit the pillar. And there was this the pillar was like this there was a gash about that deep in the pillar. I saw it. And I said, what did you do? He goes, well, the ax stuck, so we knew he wasn't real dangerous anymore. So we invited him to stay, and we continued having church. Wow. See, that guy didn't fear death. The only thing he feared was not doing what God told him to do. 2013, the next year, my wife and I went to India, again, to visit the orphanage, do some mission work. One of the things I do when I'm there, I teach pastors. When I get there, Ravi brings all his pastors, like 250, 300 pastors, and we do pastor training. And one of the pastors there was a man named Amos. And he planted a church in a very hostile area, very hostile area to Christianity, and was doing the work in ministry there. He was doing such an amazing job of winning Hindu converts that the tribal chief killed him, killed him in the streets. The next month, a young pastor, 22 years old, stepped forward and said, I will continue the work. And he went out there and started pastoring where the slain pastor had, had worked. A month after the pastor was killed, this young man went there to continue the work. He didn't fear death. What he feared was not doing the work that God had called him to. That's what we Could fear Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One of the thieves hurled insults at him and said, Don't aren't you, son of God, save yourself and us. The other one said, Don't you fear God because we're in the same sentence? We're getting this, we're getting what our deeds deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. When he was facing death, he said, The only thing I fear is God. And that's what this pastor feared. See, when you fear God, you all you don't fear death. You don't fear anything. The fear of God leads to the conquering of fear of everything else. We shouldn't fear death. We should only fear God. We should fear not doing what he wants us to do while we're here. That should be our fear, okay? That's it. The second thing, guys, is that perspective leads to courage. We have to have perspective. Once we've got a hold of those four fears, failure, ridicule, loss, and death, once, then we need perspective. This is what James 4, 13 through 17 says. It says, now, listen, and I think he's talking to America here. I really do. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The Bible says we are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's all we are. This life was never meant to be it. We are not citizens here. Our 99.999% of our existence is going to be spent in either heaven or hell, not on this planet. And we need to keep that in perspective, uh, I was watching Band of Brothers a couple of years ago and, and uh, there's a, there a guy named Ronald Spears, Lieutenant Ronald Spears, and they had, the 101st Airborne had taken heavy fire and Private Howard Blythe was hunkered down. During the battle, he's hunkered down in a ditch, just shaking and, 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 and terrified for his life. Spears found him in the ditch and he said, hey, Blythe, why didn't you engage the enemy? And Howard Blythe goes, I was scared, sir. He goes, Spears goes, no, nope, we're all scared. Blythe, why did you not engage the enemy? And Blythe goes, I don't know. And Spears said, this is why. He said, because you have hope. He said, you actually think, Blythe, that you're gonna be going home. You actually think you're gonna live out this war. He goes, listen to this. The only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead, Spears told Blythe. The minute we shipped off to war, we were dead. And he said, the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. You guys, courageous people aren't people who, feel fe- who don't feel fear. Courageous people are those who feel fear and keep going anyway. That's what courageous people are. The apostle Paul said this, to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know what that means? This is what it means. It means that while I'm here, on this, while, while I am this mist that appears for a little while, while I, am, while I am this side of the ground, while there is oxygen in my lungs, while my heart is beating, I will be about the work of the Lord. And when I die, I win the lottery." That's what, that's, that's what Paul, Apostle Paul was saying. That's what it means to live as Christ, to die as gain. But while I'm here, I'm here for a very short time. I could, be, I, could, I could kick the bucket tomorrow, Apostle Paul was saying. So while I'm here, I will be about the work of Christ and the work of Christ only. And that if, I, if I die, I win the lottery. All right? He wasn't thinking about this world. He was thinking about eternity. And he realized that the work of Christ was dangerous. His work with Christ was dangerous. It could lead to his death. It could also lead to the deaths of the people that he was converting but he realized his life is so short and so brief that we're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes, and therefore our perspective should be eternity. In light of eternity, our life here is just that, even less. I wanna ask you all today who are joining us in person and online today, are you Howard Blythe or are you Ronald Spears? Are, are, Are you hunkered in a ditch? unwilling to engage the enemy and unwilling to do what you were trained to do, unwilling to do what your commander-in-chief is calling you to do because you think that by staying out of the battle, you can actually live. Or are you Ronald Spears that says, you know what, I'm not making you out of this world alive. Heaven is my goal, and therefore, I can engage the enemy. I can do what my commander-in-chief is telling me to do, which are you this morning. Perspective leads to courage. Let's keep our eyes on eternity, Church. Where life is but a mist that appears a little while and then vanishes. Not hold to this life with such a grip. We need to decide, Church, what is worth living for, and what is worth dying for. And then let's go do it—to live as Christ, to die as gain. Courage flows from the belief that that uh, uh, f- from from that perspective. It also flows. Get this from the fact that you are free. All right, never forget that you are free. Galatians 5.1 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be a burden again by the yoke of slavery. Listen to me, Christians, you are not a slave. You are not a pawn. You are not subject to people's opinions or your mistakes or the failures you've made. You are God's creation and God has set you free. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it to the full. And if you are not living life to the full, if you are only living 99% of that which Jesus has for you, you are getting it wrong. Jesus set you free. Free from what? Well, this is what Jesus set you free from. You ready? Take this out. He set you free from sin. He set you free from worldly concerns. He set you free from the stress of comparison. He set you free from obsessing over other people's opinions of you. He is, you are free from the obsessing over the behavior of others and attempting to control the behavior of others. You are free from failure. You are free from the fear of ridicule. You are free from the fear of loss. You are free from the fear of death. You are free. He has set all of us free from those things. Amen? Why would we voluntarily go back into slavery? A good question. Unfortunately, a lot of us are like water. Oops. Excuse me. A lot of us are like water. See, water, I like water. It's good. I've got you know, some of my best friends like water. But water has two things that really bother me about it, right? Water, number one, always takes the path of least resistance. See guys, if you were to put water right here and a very, very slight incline up here, something that people value a lot, maybe a million dollars and a slight decline, the worst thing, least valuable thing in the world, like a copy of Mariah Carey's, all I want for Christmas is you, okay? All right, water, will choose this every time because it's easiest. Instead Instead of what is best, it'll do what is easiest. That's what water does. The second thing that water bothers me is that though it is a solid, it always takes the shape of whatever container it is in. So I've got water here. See, if I pour this in here, water will take the shape of this tall cup. This is a situation, and water just becomes what the situation wants it to be. And if I was to pour this same water into this container, guess what? It doesn't look like a cup anymore. Now it looks like this. And if I was to pour this into here, it would look like this. It takes the shape of whatever situation it finds itself in. And a lot of Christians are like that. Whatever situation I find myself in, that's what I become. I have no sense of who I am, I have no sense of identity, no sense I'm going to take the easiest way out, I'm going to take the path of least resistance, and then whatever situation I find myself in, that's just what I'm going to become. And we all know that if water was ever called to stand on its own, if I was to pour this out, would it stand up? No, It would just fold like a cheap suit. And that's exactly the way a lot of us are, if we were honest with ourselves. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, we'll just go along to get along. Um, you know, here, here we're, we're this way with our, with our church friends, but all of a sudden the, the, the cool kids want me to think this, so I'll just, I'll just become like the cool kids, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, you know with my family, I, I, they, they really s- expect me to stand upright, so, so I'll, I'll just stand upright, right, I'll look like that around them. True? And if you don't think that's that's true, try being a pastor when people don't know you're a pastor and then they find out you are. Boy, you see people change like that. You really do. Guys, that's completely inappropriate for God's holy people. You're not a slave to anything. You're not a slave to people's opinions or the situations you're in. You are free. You're a child of God. Stop living like we are slaves. And this is the thing that just hits me, that just really hit me this week, you all. Courage flows from the fact, from the belief that we were put here at this point in history for a reason. In Revelation 2 26 to 27, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches in the future. It says this To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, <clears throat> I will give authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery just as I've received authority from my Father. In other words, we are to remain faithful to the end. But get this, I don't believe that God placed George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, Benjamin Rush, and others in 1776 by accident. I believe that he put them there for a reason for that specific time in history to do certain things that only they could do. I believe that. And I believe he put them there. It wasn't a random accident. And therefore, I also believe that you and I were placed in America, in Jessamine County, in 2021 because we have things that only we can do, all right? God could have created you for a different time or place. He could have created you for for, uh, the 1920s or the 1700s or put you in Sudan or Sweden or wherever, but he didn't. He put you in America for this time because he believes in us. Because we have a unique responsibility and a unique calling right now. God knew the challenges this community, this nation would face, and that's why he put you here. Think about that. God placed you here because he knew the challenges of a non-Christian culture, increasingly non-Christian culture, and knew that you would be able to handle it. God placed you here because he knew the pandemic would hit and you would be a light in the darkness. God placed you here because he knew this nation would be divided and you were to be an example. Christ in turbulent times, you are not here at this time and place by accident. God placed you here because his kingdom needs exactly what you have to offer at this time and place. Is it possible? You are here at this time and place in American history because in the coming years, there'll be a persecution of Christians that we've never seen, and you are strong enough to handle it? Not only possible, it's likely. Don't think for one instant you're here by random accident. Many of us adults are concerned about the direction that schools are going in right now, true? You know that our students were placed in those school systems? Right now, for this time in history, God, He knew that they could handle it. He knew that they could be a light. He, they have a specific purpose, a specific calling. Did you know that? This isn't, this isn't some random accident. We are placed in this time, in this, in this place, in, in history for a reason. And so you all, give me a church that fears nothing that, but leaving God's work undone. Give me that church. Give me where the only thing that keeps you up at night, church, is the fact that God wanted you to share your faith with someone and you didn't do it. Uh, Not coronavirus or money or the stock market or tanking or who's in the White House or foreign invasion. Give me a church where the only fear that we have is of God and leaving his work undone. Give me a church that doesn't fear failure or ridicule or loss or death, who understands this life is, uh, on earth is but a temporary mist, is here today and gone tomorrow, who understands that to live is Christ, to die is gain, who understands that God has placed us here and at this particular time in 2021 because he's uniquely gifted you to be, to, to be kingdom workers. Is that us today, Catalyst? Is that us? If not, why not? Right now is the time for courage. Time to know what's worth living for and what's worth dying for stand on it. So I want to ask you all a question. What do you fear? I want you to name it. I want you to get it in your mind. What do you fear? I want you to get it in your mind. And the second question is this, why do you fear it more than God? I want an answer. I want you to answer that for yourself. What do you fear? And why do you fear it more than God? You guys, right now there's kingdom work that's not being done not because the people aren't here to do it, not because we don't have the ability to do it, not because we don't have the calling to do it, because God's holy people fear failure, or ridicule, or loss, or death more than they fear God. I was asked by one of my seminary professors, David, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Simple question. I said to myself that day, in 1998, I'd plant a church. my calling, my specific calling, my life purpose is what God told me to do. That was for me. Not everyone's called to do that. What about you? What would you do in life if you weren't afraid, church? You think you'd live very differently? I want you all to do something for me this week. I want you to carry that question with you this week and I want your answer to that question to help guide the rest of your life. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit and everyone, everywhere people grew fearful, I remembered something that C.S. Lewis had written. I found it and I posted it, and it's been guiding me for almost a year now. I invite the band, come on back up. In C.S. Lewis's day, the threat of nuclear war was everywhere. It hung over everyone's heads like this pandemic is hanging over our heads right now. And he wrote this. In one way we think a great too much, great deal too much of the, of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you have lived in the Viking Age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you're already living in the age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of car accidents. He writes this, in other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were already going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we've, we, have, we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous, C.S. Lewis writes, to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because some scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, C.S. Lewis writes. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, I love this, listen. Let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and a game of darts not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, and he writes this, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Absolutely brilliant. And I agree with him 100%. Everyone dies, not everyone lives. We are to die of COVID, which which 99.7% of you won't, When it comes, when it infects us, let it find us being about the work of the kingdom, praying, worshiping God, making disciples, baptizing the lost, enjoying fellowship over a meal with your community group and Christian friends, ministering in prisons, feeding the hungry, adopting orphans, strengthening our marriages and our parenting. Let it find us, when it finds us, joyful, and at peace with God and with each other, not huddled together like frightened sheep, hollering at everyone not as fearful as ourselves. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever. you go. God bless you. Amen. Stand with us as we sing about the freedom